I have a clear memory from my college years of meeting one of my college professors. This professor was new to the campus, but he was a dynamic teacher and was already popular among the students at my Christian college. He was Ivy League educated, and he was so smart, it was intimidating. One day, as the students were leaving chapel, I found that I was walking to class right next to him, and I thought to myself, he's clearly too important, too busy to want to meet me, to talk to me. And yet, as I met the man, I found that that wasn't the case at all. He was kind. He asked questions to get to know me. And as I would see in the days ahead, he even remembered my name. I wonder if you've had an experience like this. Assuming that someone is too important to give you the time of day. And finding, instead, a person who treats you with care, with kindness. Now, most of us also have memories where the opposite has happened. Being treated unkindly by those we thought we could trust. And those memories of being dismissed, of being ignored, perhaps even being abused, can cause us to have our guard up as we relate to others. We want to protect ourselves from being hurt again. But friends, let me ask you a question this morning. How do you expect God to treat you when you approach him? What kind of reception do you expect? How do you think he will treat you when you go to him in prayer? Well, friends, this is what our Bible passage speaks to this morning. And if you are a Christian, if you have come to know God through Christ, then Jesus tells you that you should expect only kindness and love from God because he is an abundantly kind father to his children. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to 13. Luke 11 and verses 5 to 13. For context, in our passage last week, Luke 11, 1 to 4, the disciples had experienced watching Jesus pray and they saw that something was going on there that was beyond them. And so they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answers their sweet request by giving them a model for prayer. The Lord's Prayer, as we, or as we called it, the Christian's Prayer, is what we looked at last week. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues to teach his disciples how to pray. We pick up Jesus' teaching in verse 5. If you're taking notes, the main point this morning from the text is this. Christians should pray with boldness, for we have a loving Father. Christians should pray with boldness, for we have a loving Father, the most loving Father. And as we look at the text, first we'll look at what our posture should be towards God, that of boldness, verses 5 to 10. And then secondly, what God's posture should be towards us. Or what God's posture is towards us, not should be. What God's posture is towards us, that of kindness. And that's verses 11 to 13. I pray this morning that we would see the kindness of our Heavenly Father, find greater joy in Him, and so be drawn into deeper communion with Him in prayer. Let's begin by reading our passage. Follow along with me as I read Luke 11. 5 to 13. This is God's word. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, 
Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's look, first of all, verses 5 to 10, at our posture towards God in prayer. What our posture should be towards God in prayer. Here we continue to learn from Jesus how to pray. Last week we looked at Jesus' teaching found in the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples what their priorities should be in prayer. What their priorities should be. That is, he showed them what themes should permeate their prayers. And even what are the things specifically that they should ask for in prayer. We saw that Jesus gives a Copernican revolution in worldview. Rather than a universe with us at the center, God himself is to take center stage. This is reflected in the Lord's Prayer as the first two requests are related to God, for His name to be hallowed, to be glorified, to be made famous, and secondly, for His kingdom to come. These God-centered requests help to refocus our priorities, reminding us that our prayers and even our very lives should see God and His things to be center, central. Jesus also teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to make requests for our own needs as well, which are the final three requests. Prayers for provision in our daily bread, prayers for forgiveness, and prayers for protection from temptation. But even in these requests, God is seen to be a wonderful God. He is seen to be glorified in answering our prayers He is showing himself to be our generous, providing God and caring for our every need. He is shown to be the forgiving God, saving sinners through Christ. And he is shown to be God the shepherd who protects his little lambs from temptation. Now, while the Lord's Prayer teaches us about what our priorities should be in prayer, in the following passage, our passage this morning, Jesus is teaching us what our posture should be in prayer as we approach God. If the Lord's Prayer teaches us what to pray for, then this following section teaches us how we should pray. Jesus begins in verse 5 on our posture in prayer towards God by using a parable, the parable of the persistent neighbor, the parable of the persistent neighbor. Now, quickly, in terms of parables, parables are stories, fictional stories, that Jesus uses to teach truth to his disciples. They are illustrations, examples. He was a wonderful teacher. But at different times, Christians have misunderstood the point of such parables. They have seen parables not as illustrations teaching a a point, 
but often attempted to see them as an allegory and have wanted to connect the dots and find some deeper meaning in these parables, assuming that each part of it has a one-to-one connection with something else that we are to find somewhere else in the Bible. But that's not how parables work. They are simple stories used to teach a simple truth. We'll see that as we go on. This parable teaches us about how we should approach God in prayer. Look first at the scenario, the situation. A friend arrives in the night. This was common enough in the ancient Near East for people to travel at night because of the hot and dry climate. It was so hot. The sun was so uh, hot during the day that people would wait and they would leave in the evening in order to not have to face such heat and such dry weather. And the man in the parable does not have enough food to give to his guest. And out of his embarrassment, out of his shame, he goes and seeks help from his neighbor. Now, if you look in terms of the context of 2,000 years ago in Palestine, there were no 24-hour convenience stores. There were no shops that were open in the middle of the night. And bread was made daily. And if all of the food had been eaten that day, that the daily bread that God had provided, this man would have nothing left over to feed his friend who was expecting hospitality. So what does he do? Well, it's clear that there is a strong sense of hospitality and such a strong sense of hospitality that he's ashamed to not be able to give something to this guest. And he's so ashamed that he unashamedly pursues his neighbor by knocking at the door at midnight, waking up the whole house at midnight in order to show hospitality to his newly arrived guest. This sense of hospitality helps us make a little more sense of the Mary and Martha story, which came a couple stories earlier in Luke. Martha's concern with showing good hospitality to Jesus distracts her from being able to sit and to listen to them. him. So what is the neighbor doing at midnight with his whole family? Well, he's asleep. His door is closed and bolted. And not only that, this looks like he's in a one-bedroom house. His whole family is asleep, and as families did, they all slept together near each other for warmth. And what does this neighbor do? Well, he initially refuses. Go away. We are all asleep. We are all in bed. I I can't come and help you. And he refuses. This story, I think, is meant to be comical. Any of you who have children, who have gotten that baby to sleep at night, you know the sense of great peace that comes after such anxiety of a, a crying baby. If you have watched, if you don't have children your friends having children, you notice that once that baby goes to sleep, there's a lot of shushing in the house in order to keep that baby asleep. Everyone else needs to be quiet. We can't face the anxiety of that baby waking up again. A couple of weeks ago, I read a humorous story by a a humor writer. It was a fictional story, but it was hilarious. It was uh, the, the situation of somebody breaking down in their car and going and knocking at a door nearby looking for petrol for some gas. And the man refuses to help him because his baby is asleep and he doesn't want to wake up the baby. 
It's this exasperated father whose wife is out for the night, and he's only just gotten the baby to sleep. And it isn't until in this funny story the people threaten to scream that he finally is willing to help them. You see, something like that is going on here. It's humorous. But do you see the point of this parable, of this illustration? This person who's wanting to show hospitality shamelessly goes and wakes up his neighbor. And the neighbor isn't willing to help him at first. He says, go away. I I can't help you. And yet, because of his shamelessness, because of his boldness, the man finally will rise and give him whatever he needs in order to finally have some peace. Jesus uses this parable to teach us something of how we should be approaching God. You see what Jesus is saying here. If this man refuses to help but finally will help because of your shamelessness, your boldness, how much more so will your heavenly Father who is disposed to show you kindness, if you boldly ask of him, will he not so much more so give you what you need? This parable is similar to the parable of the persistent widow. You remember that one. In that parable, the widow persists in asking the unjust judge for justice so often that out of frustration, he finally responds to her. The unjust judge, Jesus says, gives her justice, not because he's concerned with justice, but because he doesn't want to be annoyed by this woman anymore. And Jesus teaches if even an unjust judge will give justice to a persistent person, how much more so will God, who is just, Give justice to his children who are oppressed. So you do see what Jesus is teaching here through this parable. Well, he explains it in verses 9 and 10. Ask. He says, so ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is telling us that when we approach God in prayer, we should approach him with boldness, with shamelessness. Recently, uh, we traveled and stayed with some new friends. And this older woman offered our children, out of a huge selection of toys that they could have a toy this was a grandmother whose children and grandchildren were already grown and she loved to give little children toys she told them all each of my three kids you can all take a toy so jack selected a a a big teddy bear and sam selected another bear and jude found two toys that he wanted he found a little truck and he found it a uh, found a little bear And Jude, out of his shamelessness and boldness, asked, can I have two? And guess what? He got two because he was bold, because he was shameless. The other kids were embarrassed and were telling him he shouldn't ask for two. He should be content with one. And yet, out of his boldness, he got what he asked for. And you see, Jesus is saying, this is what we should do. We should be so bold in prayer, asking God to answer And not only bold, but persistent, continuing to ask over and over again, continuing to seek God in prayer and continuing to knock the door of heaven. And Jesus tells us, if we pray this way, God will answer. 
This is, first of all, our approach toward God. Boldness. Persistence. But it is actually God's posture toward us, the second part of this section, that is to motivate such boldness and persistence. So let's look at the second part, God's posture toward us in prayer. Verses 11 to 13. Let's read that again. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus uses a a second parable. Parable of... You could say the evil father. He says, we who are sinful fathers, even us who have indwelling sin, know how to give good gifts for our children. By and large, fathers are not cruel when their children ask for daily needs, but even sinful fathers like us know how to give good gifts to our children. Jesus uses this as an illustration and a similar argument. If even us who are sinful know how to give good gifts to our children when they ask and would not be so cruel as to play a joke or something worse, be cruel or abusive to our children by giving them a snake or a scorpion when they ask for food, for fish, for an egg. How much more so will our God who is sinless, who is perfect, how much more so will he be kind and give good gifts to us, his children? You see here God's posture toward us when we pray. He is a kind and loving Father, and He delights to answer our every prayer. And do you see, not only does He give good gifts to His children, He gives the best gift, the gift of Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 13. Luke, who would go on to write the book of Acts, which Pastor Jeremy has been preaching on, shows the the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and all of the wonderful things that happened through this gift of the Holy Spirit. God shows his love for his children by not just giving us our daily needs and not just giving us possessions, but actually giving us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, as proof, as a guarantee of his presence with us forever. God promises himself to us forever and shows this to us by giving us the gift of the indwelling spirit. Now, if we have such a father, a father who is so kind and loving towards his children and loves to give good gifts to him, Sorry, give good gifts to us. Why then are we not so bold and persistent in prayer? Why don't we persist with such boldness in prayer? I think there may be different reasons. Let's consider a few of them. It may be for some of us that we have something of an inferiority complex. We think we probably don't matter much to God, and so... We are not confident when we approach God, and so we don't pray as we ought. We expect that God is not going to give us something good, or we don't want to get our hopes up, having been disappointed in the past, and so we don't pray, we don't ask, we don't seek, we don't knock. Brothers and sisters, if this is you, let me encourage you. 
you have a father who loves his son Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, you have been united with Christ. And when you approach God, he doesn't see you as one of those children that he has that he's forgotten about. No, you are one of his precious beloved ones. You have been chosen by God and you are precious to him. Let me encourage you to approach your father with boldness, knowing that you are one of his sons or daughters, that you have standing with him, that he loves you, and that he will give you what is best. Maybe for some, you are discouraged from not receiving the answers that you have wanted. Maybe out of discouragement that you haven't continued persisting in prayer you have something that you've wanted perhaps you have prayed for something that God didn't give you or saw that something else was best for you and you are discouraged and so you withdraw from God you withdraw from prayer let me encourage you brothers and sisters your father does know best and he is wise and while he may not say Yes to every prayer. You can trust him to do what is best. Let me encourage you to not be discouraged in your prayer, but to persevere knowing the kind of father that we have. It may be for some that we have a kind of theology of God's sovereignty that borders on fatalism. Our theology, which is good, that God is sovereign over all, leads us to think, well, God's going to do what he wants, and so I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to brace myself for whatever it is that he brings to pass. But you see, this is a, a terrible way to approach God. It flies in the face of what Jesus is calling us to do here. Our theology of God's sovereignty shouldn't lead us to a kind of fatalism of just... Assuming, well, God's going to do what he does and I just need to get used to it. No, we need to be like this persistent neighbor and approach God knowing that God has a plan that includes our prayers and that involves us being a part of God doing his work in this world. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to not allow a part of the theology of God's word work against other truths that we see in God's word. It may be for some of us, we don't pray because we trust other things more than God. It may be that we don't pray because we trust other things more than God. Perhaps we trust ourselves and our ability to do things. Perhaps we trust others and we look to others to help us. Perhaps we have a sense of shame or propriety or modesty we don't want to seem rude or ungrateful, and so we don't ask for things because we don't want to admit weakness. But do you know, brothers and sisters, we are weak. And do you know we are dependent on God? And do you see here, Jesus says we shouldn't be ashamed when we go to God because he knows we are weak and he knows that we need him. Let me encourage you to be so bold and shameless in being willing to admit your weakness and go to God with your every need. I wonder, as you consider a passage like this, if you were asking, like me, well, then what do we do with unanswered prayer? What do we do when we have persisted in prayer, when we have been bold in prayer, and it seems like the doors of heaven are shut to our knocking? J.I. Packer writes this in his book, Knowing Christianity. We need not to be discouraged by the problem of supposedly unanswered prayer. I say supposedly because I challenge the supposition. 
While God has not bound himself to hear unbelievers' prayers, his promises to answer the prayers of his own children are categorical and inclusive. It must then be wrong to think that a flat no is ever the whole of his response to the reverent petitions from Christians who seek his glory and others' welfare. The truth must be this. This is Packer. God always acts positively when a believer lays a situation of need before him, but he does not always act in the way or at the speed asked for. In meeting the need, he does what he knows to be best, when he knows it best to be. Or, another way to say this, God answer, answers our prayers as if we were praying those prayers, knowing what he knows. God answers our prayers... As if we were praying, knowing what he knows. And we can trust him to do what's best. Packer uses a wonderful illustration. He speaks of uh, an accident in his own childhood. At the age of seven, he had a violent collision with uh, a bread van. The result was damage to his brain and to his skull. A large portion of his skull had to be removed. And he had spent weeks in the hospital recovering. And from then on, he had to wear a protective helmet over his injury. And he was told by doctors to abstain from all sports. Every schoolboy, Packer says, around the age of 11, expected to receive a bicycle from his parents, a bicycle of his own. And J.I. Packer's friends were all getting bicycles. And at the age of 11, when he was... Uh, anticipating his 11th birthday, he dropped hints to his parents that he expected a bicycle too. His parents, considering the injury and their love for their child, knew that this would not be safe. This would not be wise to give to their son. On the morning of his 11th birthday, as, as the man wandered down from his bedroom to see what present awaited him, he found not a bicycle, but an old Oliver typewriter. A typewriter which seemed to him to weigh half a ton. Although it was old, it was in excellent condition. It was not what Packer had asked for. Nevertheless, it proved to be what he needed. Surprise gave way to delight as he realized what he could do with this unexpected gift. He says it was not more than a minute before he had put a paper into the machine and started to type. And it proved to be his best present and the most treasured possession of his childhood. This man would go on to be a wonderful writer, and I, as well as many Christians, have benefited from his writings. And a part of that was his parents' loving wisdom and giving to him not exactly what he asked for, but something better, something that was wisest and best. This should lead us to be thankful for a God who does not always give us what we want, but always provides what we ultimately need. Brothers and sisters, know this. When we approach God, we are not needing to pry blessings from a stingy hand. No, we are able to go to a God who loves us and is all wise and delights to give good gifts to his children. Brothers and sisters, we should be so bold and persistent in prayer, knowing the kind of God that we have. It may be, for some of us, our unanswered prayers are actually unanswered because, as James puts it in James 4, we do not have because we do not ask. Or, not only prayerlessness, James also says in James 4, we ask and we do not receive because we ask with wrong motives to spend it on our evil desires. 
See, for some of us, what we need to learn is the lessons of the Lord's Prayer from last week. A, a shift in our priorities. Priorities that put God at center stage. And even our own needs in a place that seeks to give God glory. I wonder if you, like me, at times see prayer not as a daily occurrence, as a daily delighting in God and a daily dependence on God, but as a sort of last resort, a sort of court of appeals, or even perhaps a supreme court. We think of God as this person not to be bothered, unless it's one of those extreme situations, and we show up a little embarrassed. God, I've done all that I can to try to to deal with things. But here I am finally at my last point. You finally are my court of final appeals. And I'm going to ask you just to do me a solid, do me a favor, help me out just this one time, and I won't ask again. Often we pray like this, as a friend put it. We pray to get to a place where we won't feel we need God anymore. We like to be in this position of thinking we don't need God. We don't want to be reliant on Him. And we want God at times in those difficult moments to do us a solid and get us to a place where we won't need Him anymore or won't feel that we need Him anymore. But friends, would, would God want to put us in a position where we don't think we need Him when we need Him every hour, every moment, every breath? No, brothers and sisters. It may be that God is working on you like he worked on the Apostle Paul. Putting you in a difficult position. Putting you in a time of hardship and trial. Not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you. And he wants you to sense in a profound way your need for him. And he wants to draw you into a relationship where you rely on him. Each moment in prayer. What a, what a wonderful place to be in. A place where we are reliant on Him, reminded continually of our need for Him. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that he prayed three times. And I don't think that means three short prayers, but I think it's three seasons of continued prayer, perhaps even fasting, where he begged God, God, take this thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical ailment from me. God, this is hindering my ministry. God, this is hindering what I can accomplish for you in life. And what did Christ say to these prayers? He said, no. I'm going to keep that thorn in the flesh in your life, Paul, because I love you and I want you to have a stronger sense of my strength than your strength, of your weakness than your strength. And Paul embraced this. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to see even your trials and difficulties as gifts from a loving hand given to you by God to draw you closer to Him and to help you to see in a more profound way how much you genuinely do need Him. As we get practical, let me encourage you not only to be bold in prayer, not only to be persistent in prayer because of your loving Heavenly Father, but to even pray not only individually, which we should do, whether it's praying without ceasing or our regular daily periods of prayer. But let me encourage you also to pray communally, to pray communally with brothers and sisters in Christ, 
The community groups are a wonderful way that you can do this. I love that the groups are starting to break out into prayer circles, even on Zoom, where they can share requests and bear each other's burdens. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to share your needs and requests with others and allow others to take part in God answering your prayers and to see God at work in others as well as in ourselves. There's something about praying communally that uh, is, is, is helpful for us because sometimes we are very forgetful. Uh, when my wife and I were in Dubai, we hosted a weekly community group and there was a, a sweet young woman who had a request every week. And usually the request was, because she was a freelance worker, pray, I need work, I need money, I have to pay my rent. But it was ironic because she would ask that prayer one week and the next week the prayer would be, pray for me, I'm working so much, I'm so tired, I can't even handle it. And we as the group would say, oh, you mean God answered your prayer for work? Praise God, let's, let's thank God for answering the prayer from last week. She's like, yes, but I'm just so tired. But we're like that, right? We're, we're forgetful even when God answers and we, we forget to thank him and to praise him. When he answers our prayers, let me encourage you to pray in community so that others can remind you when God does answer those prayers and can remind you of where God has brought you through the weeks and months and even years. Now, a final application. Let me encourage you to keep a prayer journal of some sort. Write down your prayers. Write them down so that you have a record of them. And then write down the answers when you see God at work answering those prayers and then turn to him in praise and in thanks and give him glory for his kindness. It may be that you, like me, will forget to write in those answers, but years later you'll flip through that journal and you'll remember where you were and remember the burdens on your heart and you can look back and see from the perspective of years God's kindness in answering your every prayer, perhaps not as you had asked it or in the form that you had asked it, but according to his kindness. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to be bold and persistent in prayer, for we have the most loving of fathers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we give you praise that you indeed are a kind father, and you love to give good gifts to your children. Lord, I pray that we would learn from the persistent neighbor, that we would learn even from us, ourselves, as evil fathers, something of what you are like as our good and loving and kind God. We pray that this would motivate us to be bold in prayer, that this would motivate us to be bold in asking for you to make your name great, for your kingdom to come, for you to provide for our needs, for you to forgive our sins, and for you to protect us from temptation. Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives to rely on you in a greater and greater measure as we are aware more and more of how much indeed we need you and that your kindness would draw us into a deeper relationship of communion with you. We pray that you would do this among us for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.